Praise the Lord. You, you can be seated. We're going to do a lot of Bible tonight. I hope you brought your Bible with you. I hope you've got pen and paper. And if not, that, that's quite all right. We're going to have screens that will help us. Brother Trevor's going to help us. But welcome to Wednesday study. Amen. Does anybody in this room besides me and this good brother behind me just love Bible doctrine? Okay, five of us. <laughs> well... <laughs> There's, there's five of us in the house of God tonight that really love the word of God. And that, I think there's more. I think there's more. Tonight, we're going to study a topic that is very near and dear to my heart. It's, um, it's something, not, not the only thing, but it is something that makes us unique. And when I say us, I mean apostolic Pentecostals. And just a little side note, last night as I was preparing, I don't, I don't know why, but Genevieve, our oldest daughter, uh, she came in and she just kind of laid on the carpet in the office where I was studying. And I just kind of looked at her and I was like, what are you doing? She goes, I don't know. I mean, just kind of weird. And then she just starts gazing at my bookcase and I'm reading notes and putting things together. And she goes, Daddy, you got a lot of books. And I said, yeah, I do. I got a lot of books. And then she just randomly goes, what does apostolic Pentecostal mean? And I was like, well, let me explain to you. And so you, you get the benefit of my explanation to my oldest daughter. So Pentecostal, I started with Pentecostal. I said, well, Genevieve, Pentecostal is our experience. On the day of Pentecost, when the disciples had gathered together in the upper room in Jerusalem to receive the promise that Jesus said was going to come, they were there together with one corpus, with one, one mindset, one accord, the Bible says. And there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And they spake with cloven tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. Amen. And so I said, that experience, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking with other tongues, that's Pentecostal. That is what many people in Christianity will say, I'm Pentecostal because I'm filled with the Holy Ghost, or I believe in the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Now, all of us aren't created equal. Some of them don't teach it's essential. Some people don't believe that you have to have the Holy Ghost to go to heaven, but that is contrary to the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. But that's what that experience is. And then so I said, so now Genevieve, the thing that differentiates us from other, from other Pentecostal faiths is our stance on the apostles' doctrine. And she kind of looked at me like, I said, okay, the apostles' doctrine, the book of Acts, the epistles, what the, what the apostles taught the church was that there is one God. Now, you got to remember, all of these apostles were Jews. And so they are devout in adhering to the one God faith. Amen? Amen. They are devout in the one God truth. And so I said, Genevieve, there are a lot of religions, a lot of organizations, a lot of Christians that will call themselves Pentecostal because of the experience, but they deny that there is one God. And so tonight, we're going to get into this a little bit. And Brother Trevor, if you'll help me, let's start with our first verse. Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. I think we should all say that together as a class. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of the Lord. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your revelation of your truth and God, the ability to share it, to declare it, to receive it, to adhere to it, to stand upon it. Lord, I pray that every heart and every mind would be open to receiving your word tonight. And Lord, revelation and illumination of scripture only comes from you. No one comes except the spirit draws them. Lord, 
If there's somebody under the sound of my voice that is not an adherent to this faith, let them be converted tonight in the name of Jesus. Everybody say amen. 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 This doctrine, I believe, of the oneness of God is one that we cannot talk enough about. I mean, it would be like expecting your child to go on the first day of kindergarten and fully learn their ABCs in arithmetic, and that be enough. We can't talk about it enough. We can't teach it enough. I would venture to say that according to the word of the Lord that we're about to hear, that even if pastor or a guest minister were to declare this truth every Sunday and every Wednesday, it wouldn't be enough. But what they would simply be doing is obeying scripture. Read Deuteronomy 6, 6 for me through 7. And these words, which I command thee this day, shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach Hold on. them. And thou, the pastor. No, it says, and you. The Sunday school teacher. No. And you. The evangelist. No. And you. Well, go ahead. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And shall talk of them when Hold thou on. sittest when? in thine house. When? When? When thou sittest in thine house. Only when you're at church. <laughs> Go ahead. And when thou sittest in thine house. And when thou walkest by the way. Only at church. And when thou liest down. And when thou risest up. I think I've made my point. All the time. This was not a commandment for the pastor. This was not a commandment for Sunday school teachers. This was not a commandment for the evangelist, the prophet, the apostle. This was a commandment to the parent. We're faithful and diligent in teaching many things. Well, I mean, I'll be honest. My kids take lessons for a lot of things. But every night when they go to bed... We're obedient to the word of the Lord. They do it in English. They do it in Hebrew. They quote some other verses. And I'm not trying to pin a rose on my nose. I'm just trying to be obedient. Because we cannot teach this enough. They're going to go to school, and they're going to hear all kinds of things. So at home, they better hear that hero of Israel, the Lord our God, is one Lord. Because when they go to school, they're not going to hear that. They're going to hear God ain't real. They're going to hear God's a fake. God's a liar. Jesus wasn't really God. They're going to hear all kinds of false doctrines. Amen? But when they come home, when they're at your table, when they're riding out, when they're walking out of the door, they better hear, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. I feel the Holy Ghost. And I tell you, this day and age we live in, it won't take long for you to notice that the winds of false doctrine are blowing and they're blowing hard. And we've got to get our house. Everybody say, my house. We've got to get our house built upon the rock. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. You've heard me teach this before. It's what's known as the Shema. It's taken from the first word of verse 4 of Deuteronomy 6. It's a prayer that the Jews will, will recite twice a day. Once in the morning and again in the evening. And the first portion, this is the first portion of scripture that a Jewish child will memorize. Tell me it's not important. They're going to get it ingrained into their child's head who they're worshiping. Amen. That you don't worship anything else. 
You don't worship a baseball. You don't worship a football. You don't worship a little gold deity. You worship the one true God of heaven, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. You don't worship YouTube. You don't worship that apostolic phone in your pocket, even though we spend more time in it than anywhere else. Man, I'm meddling tonight. I feel a meddling spirit. Praise God, it doeth you good. That word is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing right now. If it's offending you good, let it cut. Let it do surgery on you. That word, shma, we translate it here. We say it here. But it's more complex than you and my understanding of here. Because when I can hear, I can hear unintelligently. I hear the, these vibrations, these sound waves going into my ear, transferring into my brain. I can hear you, but not regard what you're saying. But the Shema means you better hear what I'm saying and be obedient to what I'm telling you. It means involving and engaging the brain and the heart and the body to now do what I'm hearing. The word Shema accurately means this, to hearken and obey. So by reciting these words to their children at morning and at night, the parents are obeying the commandment, and they're teaching their children the commandment. This Shema is so central to their lives as worshipers of the one same God that we worship. Is it central to us? Is this your own, or is it theirs? Or is it your daddy's? Is it your mother's? Is it your grandmother's? Is it some distant relative that maybe brought you to church one day, but you've never grabbed a hold of it for yourself. Is he your God or just their God? Hmm. In Mark 12, the scribe, a teacher of the law, approaches Jesus after hearing him debate with these Sadducees, and Jesus has answered many questions. It's as if Jesus is already on trial. And he... he comes to Jesus, and it's like he tries to trap Jesus with his own answer, and he asks this question. He asks Jesus, which is the first commandment of all? In other words, he's asking him, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? And unfortunately, I think sometimes that's us where we want to say, okay, if I only have to obey one thing, what's the most important thing for me to obey? Can I discard the rest of it? Can I do away with the rest of it? Can I just obey one thing, Jesus, and just kind of pick and choose what I want to do, what I want to follow, what I don't want to do? So he asks him, what's the most important question, or what's the most important commandment, rather? And I'll remind you that in the law, there are 613 commandments, not 10. 613, that's a lot. And they all know all of them. Man, I can't remember 613 verses right now. <laughs> That's a lot of do's and don'ts. I can't hardly remember do the dishes. Wink at my wife back there on the camera. Praise the Lord. But what's the most important one of these 613, Jesus? If you had to pick one, Brother Ash, what's the most important one? And this is what Jesus says. He echoes the words of Moses written in Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Jesus says that upon this, the entire law and the prophets hinge upon Deuteronomy 6 and 4. That hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. 
the entirety of the 613 commandments hinge upon who God is and how you worship him. The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they each capture a very significant conversation that occurs between Jesus and his disciples. In the course of this conversation, now it's Jesus' turn to ask the questions. He asks them. But before I get to the question, let me kind of set the stage for you. So it's the winter right before Jesus' crucifixion. So we're talking just mere months before he heads to the cross. And, and they've arrived at this place that is known in Scripture as Caesarea Philippi, but its ancient name is called Peneus. It's a beautiful place. But it's actually where Canaanites built a sanctuary to Baal and where both Greeks and Romans also built many sanctuaries to their deities. So it's a place steeped in idolatry. In fact, Jeroboam also led Israel to idolatry in this very location. So steeped in idolatry, Jesus, in this backdrop of these temples built to false gods, asks his disciples... You've seen my miracles, you've seen my signs, you've seen my wonders. But who do men say I am? Who do these people say that I am? But these miracles, these signs, and these wonders testify to his deity. But he's asking, are you looking at the signs or are you listening to the people? Which one are you giving more weight and credence to? Are you giving more weight to who I am and what I've done? Or are you giving more credence to the people and their opinion of me? And so they begin to speculate and they begin to recite the things that they've heard. Some, it says, in Matthew 16 and 13. Go ahead, brother. And when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now their answers that the disciples gave ranged from the recently slain John the Baptist to Elijah, who was basically raptured, or Jeremiah, or they just say, or just some other prophet. There's all kinds of answers that these people are speculating who you are, Jesus, but we really don't know. Peter, good old Peter. Yeah. Quick to speak. Slow to think sometimes. But actually, Peter's on to something this time. Go ahead. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Hang on. Blessed. Hold there. Yes, sir. What they heard the others say is like the first time you ever heard about the Lord but never had an experience for yourself. That is a lesser revelation of who God is. Then Peter answers the question and says, well, you're the Messiah. Now Peter had a personal revelation. You and I have to progress from having someone else's revelation to having our own revelation. But then what happens when Jesus says, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. Now, you go from a lesser revelation to a personal revelation to now a divine revelation. We've got a good from where we were when we didn't really know the Lord. We just heard people talk about him. To now I'm beginning to walk with him and begin to understand who he is. To now I'm in communion with him and I'm in relationship with him. That is the divine revelation. Peter was only able to say it by the Spirit. Amen? 
Praise the Lord. Go ahead, brother. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father, which is in heaven. Praise God. Matthew 16 and 18. Go ahead, brother. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock will I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against The gates it. of what? The gates of what? I didn't mention this, but where the Canaanites had built these deities, there was actually a cave that they called the gate of hell. All right. So what he's telling Peter is by your revelation from the spirit of who I really am, I've given you victory over all the false gods of the world and even the gate of hell. Praise the Lord. Hmm. And he said what to him upon this what? Upon this what? What is the rock? Revelation. Part of it. Peter's confession to the deity of Jesus Christ. Peter was able to make this confession only under divine revelation and inspiration after the witness of the miracles, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and his ascension. The man Peter alone, apart from his confession, would have been useless in forming the church. The confession alone, without human eyewitness to the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, and the ability to teach and ensure that true doctrine would continue, would have disintegrated into nothing more than a legend. Truth Church, we don't serve a mythical God. We don't serve an idol. No, Amen. My, my Hebrew teacher, he, he said this. He, he was a missionary in India for a very long time. And, and everything in India is a God. Everything. This speaker might be a God. This wooden floor, this podium, this microphone. Everything could be a God in essence. And, and what he said was one of the men that was attending the church came to him and he said, Okay, brother, what, what's the difference between your God and my God? And he said, well, the best way that I could put it to you is you can carry your God, but my God carries me. We don't worship a make-believe fairy tale little G God that you can put in your pocket and take everywhere. Amen. Praise the Lord. We worship the true living God. He's the God of Abraham. He's the God of Isaac. He's the God of Jacob. He's the God of Ash. He's the God of Pastor. He's the God of you, Brother Austin. He's my God. Is he your God? Amen. Yes. Matthew 15, 8 and 9. This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain in what? they do worship me. In what? In vain they in do worship how? me. How? How? In vain. In vain. Yes, sir. In vain, they worship me. Teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men. True worship can only occur by knowing who we worship. All right. If you don't understand who you worship, your worship is vain. Right. That's what he said. 
They draw near me with their mouth. They honoreth me with their lips, but the heart. There was many that came to Jesus that he says in the last days that they're going to say, but Lord, we cast out devils in your name. We laid hands on the sick and they recovered in your name, Lord. And what's he going to say? Depart from me. You worked iniquity. What is iniquity? It's lawlessness. I never knew you. It's not a mind issue. It's not a mouth issue. It's a heart issue. We got to know the Lord. We've got to know the Lord. True worship only occurs when you know the object of your worship. More than a head knowledge, it's a heart knowledge. Go ahead in John 4. John 4, Jesus meets a Samaritan woman at the well, starting at verse 7. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. He sends them away because he's got a meeting. He's got a meeting with a woman that didn't want, he didn't want to embarrass her. Because he knows the situation. He knows the state of life. Go ahead. A gentleman. Gentleman. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, asketh drink of me, which, a, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee. Hold on. This is what he says. You're having a conversation with me, and you don't even know me. Right. We're sitting here having a back and forth, and you don't realize even who I am. Mm -hmm. You have no idea. Give me drink. Go ahead, brother. Give if thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou would have asked of me, and he would have given thee living water. Continue with 11. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou How are you going to draw water? Yeah, thou hast <laughs> nothing to draw with. Captain Obvious. And the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Hmm. Art thou greater than our father Jacob? Are you greater than Jacob? Which gave us the well? He gave us this well. And drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Mm -hmm. Jesus answered and said unto her, You drink this water, you're going to get thirsty again. That's right. Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. Never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water, springing up into everlasting life. Amen. And then she says what, Brother Trevor? The woman saith unto him, Sir, give, give me, this, me water. this water. Anybody want living water? Yes, sir. Anybody want to never thirst again? Yes, sir. Take a drink from the well. Go ahead. That I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, go, call thy husband. And go come get hither. your husband. Mm -hmm. I don't have one, she says. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, thou hast well said, I have no husband. Yeah, you're right. You don't have a husband. The he guy agreed. you're living with, you're not married to. <laughs> You've had five of them. Uh oh. But the one you're living with right now is not one of them. Go talk to him. Go get him. You know, I bet by now she's probably thinking Jesus was going to stone her, which was rightful oh, punishment my. under the law. But that's not what Jesus does. Keep going. What does he do? 
For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou hast now hast is not thy husband. In that sayest thou truly. Yes. Then the woman saith unto him, Sir, I She's perceive smart. that thou art a prophet. She's real spiritual. <laughs> You're a prophet. <laughs> You're a prophet. John Our fathers. Go ahead. Our, Our ancestors, Jacob, and all of his descendants, they did what? They worshipped in this mountain. She had a lesser revelation. Go ahead. And ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me. The hour cometh when ye shall neither worship in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Now she's going to get a personal revelation. All right. Ye worship ye not, ye, ye worship ye know not what. You might worship here. But you don't know what you worship or who you worship. You're worshiping in ignorance. How many of us are in that category? Do we ignorantly worship the God that we're supposed to serve? Are we ignorant worshipers? Go ahead. We know what we worship, brother. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit. Yes. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen. The woman saith unto him. I know Messiah is coming. I know the Messiah is coming, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Now she's going to get divine revelation. Jesus saith unto her. I that speak unto thee am he. Then she runs off and says, you have never met a man like this man that I just met. He knew me before I even opened my mouth. He knew that I've had five husbands and I'm living with a man that's not my husband right now. Praise the Lord. It's my prayer tonight that if you have settled for a lesser revelation of who God is, that tonight you get a divine revelation of the God that you worship. We don't want to ignorantly worship him. We don't want to worship him in vain. We want to worship God the way that he seeks to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. And the truth is, there is one God. One God. Isaiah 29 and 23. But when he seeth his children, the work of mine hands in the midst of him, they shall sanctify my name. And sanctify the Holy One how many? of Jacob. How many? One. The Holy. How many? One. Three. One. Three. One. Three. One. Ah. One. One. And shall fear the God of Israel. Of Israel. 30 and 15, brother. For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel. How many again? One. A holy one. Let's go to 43 and 3. For I am the Lord thy God, the holy one of Israel, and 14. thy Savior. 14. 14? And then 15. Thus saith the Lord, your Redeemer, the holy one of Israel, for your sake I have sent to Babylon and have brought down all their nobles and the Chaldeans who cry in the ships. Fifteen. 
I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. 48 and 17. I think you're onto something here, church. Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord thy God, which teacheth thee to profit, which leadeth thee by the way that thou shalt shouldest go. There's a holy how many? One. How many? One. One. Mark 1, 21. Didn't Brother Trevor doing great? And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue okay, and taught. Stop. Who is he talking about? Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. Okay, next verse. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. The scribes just ran their mouths. Mm. Jesus spoke with authority. Yeah. Why? Because he's the word made flesh. Aha. Amen. Amen. Keep going. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? With who? Thou Jesus of Nazareth. Okay. Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. Hmm. The same holy one that Isaiah wrote about yes. is now in flesh. Yes. Hmm. Isaiah 43, 10 and 11. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Hmm. Before me there was no God formed, Neither shall there be after me. Mm. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Okay. He said, Where? Where? Beside him. Beside him. Beside him. him. And after him. So there's a throne. Amen. Amen. And there's only one who sits on that one throne. That's it. You don't have a son sitting in the father's lap? No, sir. The writer of Hebrews writes it like this, that after, had, after Jesus was crucified, glorified, resurrected, he ascended to heaven. Remember he told Mary, don't touch me yet. I'm not yet ascended to the father. He was in the role of the high priest. He had on high priest garments when he came out of the tomb. He shone. He, glo he was glowing. He had on that white garment that the high priest wore to go beyond the veil. He ascends. He puts the blood upon the altar in heaven. Remember, it says that the ones in the earth are a figure of the true. So there's an altar in heaven where the Lamb of God ascends, where the high priest, our high priest, Jesus, our high priest, ascends and puts the blood on the altar, the blood of the atonement. Amen. And now comes back, and now he's walking with the disciples. Okay? But it says in Hebrews that when he ascended, he sat down. Okay? If, if God is spirit... And he fills all space. He fills all time. Where exactly is the right hand, first of all? That's called an anthropomorphism. Okay? I've just got tongue twisted on that. Anthropomorphism. There you go. It's given a human quality to something not human. Okay? So for us to understand it, for our finite mind to grasp it, the writers of the Bible will say at the right hand or at his left hand. 
He has no right hand or left hand. You can't defy him. He's spirit. He fills all space, all eternity. So there is no right hand to really speak of. But the right hand represents power and authority. Okay? So, but the high priest stood daily, it says, ministering. The high priest could never sit down because the work was never finished. But Jesus, when he ascended, was able to take a seat. Why? It is finished. The Midrash is a Jewish commentary on Torah. And it says that in those days leading up to Jesus, the high priest, kind of like Rahab, would hang a scarlet cord outside of the temple. And they would pass beyond the veil. We'll talk more about that a different time. I don't have time. <laughs> he would make the atonement. He would put the blood. He would go behind the veil. And someone from the outside would testify that the red cord turned white if God accepted the atonement. It stopped when Jesus ascended. Years after that, every time they'd go in, that cord stayed red. Why? Because no longer did that suffice for our sins. When Jesus sat down, that was it. Mm. Praise the Lord. Isaiah 45, 21. Tell ye, and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Hath not I the Lord? And there is no God else beside me. A just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. None beside him. Not on his right. Not on his left. No, no one. And he is who? The Savior. Yes, he is. Isaiah 7 and 14, brother. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. El, meaning God. Nu is the Hebrew prefix, suffix that means our. Iman means with. So it's our God with us. Emmanuel means our God now with us. Nine and six, please. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, Hold on. the Prince of Hold Peace. Hold on, there's a son. Yes. But his name's called Everlasting Father. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's confusing. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. Everlasting Father. There's a son, Ash, called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, yeah. the Everlasting Father, and he's Prince of Peace. Now, we'll get into that father business a little bit later. Go ahead. Is there any question that these two, 9 and 6, 7 and 14, are speaking of the same child that's going to be born? No question. Let's go to Luke 2 and 11. For unto you is born this day. In the city of David, a Savior. A what? A Savior. A Savior. There's only one Savior. That's it. What's his name? Jesus. Finish that verse for me. Which, Which is? is Christ the Lord. Now, if you don't think perhaps it's the same son, let's go further. Matthew 1. We're going to read some verses here. Matthew 1. I know when you read your Bible, when you go to Matthew, 
you skip to verse 18. <laughs> the ones that read your Bible are laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking right. about. The genealogy, we have a tendency to skip over, right? The first two chapters of Numbers, we skip it. Ah. <laughs> your nervousness is telling on you now. <laughs> That's right, I'm guilty as well sometimes. But there, there really is meat in those genealogies. But let's start with verse 18, Brother Trevor. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when, as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came before together, before they knew each other intimately, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. She was found pregnant by who? The Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost. Okay, wait a minute. His name's Everlasting Father, but she's pregnant by the Holy Ghost. Hold on. If Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are not the same, why is the Father called the Father who sent a Son if He's not the Father? Right. It's more confusing to try to... <laughs> Come on. Hear, O Israel. <laughs> Thank you, brother. I mean, talk about a convoluted web that they have to weave. Right. Amen? But because the Father, whom they claim to be the Father, is actually not the Father because the Holy Ghost is the Father. And if these three are separate, then Mary committed adultery not only with, not only with her espoused husband Joseph, but also with the Father because the Holy Ghost is the one who made her pregnant. Well. I mean, that's like a soap opera. <laughs> As Bethlehem turns or something, I don't know. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> These are the days of Jesus, he says. The Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary. Because the child that she had was of the Holy Ghost. So the only logical explanation can be then that they're the same. Yes. But let's use scripture to interpret scripture. We read earlier in John 4 and 24, it says this. It says, God is spirit. Remember what he told the woman at the well. God is spirit. And then Leviticus 28, along with other verses, declare this, that God is holy. So if God is spirit, God is holy, then the Holy Ghost is God. Amen. That he operated in the Old Testament as the Holy Ghost that you and I know. Okay. God is the Holy Ghost. Prior to the incarnation, God only, 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 only existed as spirit. Prior to the incarnation. Verse 19, brother. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Praise God. Verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Hold on. If you have your Bible, look at Jesus. All caps. It's even on the screen. All caps. This is representative of the memorial name that God gave Moses at the burning bush in Exodus 3. When he said, if I go to the children of Israel, who can I tell them sent me? He said, the I am. Yes. Tell them the I am that I am has sent you unto them. 
And so anytime that you read in the first five books of the Torah or anywhere thereafter in the Old Testament where the words Lord or God appear in all caps, it's invoking the memorial name of God, the I Am. Amen. And then so we have this, this little conundrum here for our Trinitarian friends. That when the writers choose to put Jesus in all caps, it's not by mistake. It's not by accident. It's because it's very intentional. Because Jesus is I am salvation. It is Yehoshua in Hebrew. Praise God. So what he said now is the memorial name that was revealed to the children of Israel at the burning bush is now being revealed to you in flesh. Yes. Praise God. Go ahead, brother. For he shall save his people from their sins. 22. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of by the Lord, by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted is God with us. It says God's son with us. No, sir. Jehovah Jr. with us. No, sir. The second of the Godhead is with us. No, sir. No, what did it say? God. God with us. us. How many gods are there? One. There's only one, and now he is where? With, with us. us. Hmm. This is what 2 Corinthians 5 and 19 says. To wit, that God was in Christ. Where? In Christ. God was where? In Christ. Doing what? Reconciling the world unto himself. So where was God? In Christ. Christ is not in the Godhead. No. Christ is not part of the Godhead. No. Colossians 2 and 9 says, For in him dwelleth the fullness of, of the, the Godhead. Godhead bodily. Amen. So that tells us he's not in the Godhead, but the Godhead is in him. Yes. 2 Timothy 3 and 16. I got this one, brother. He says, God was manifest in the flesh. Let's go to James 2. We're almost done. Start with verse 14. We're going to break this down a little bit. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? Can you be saved just by your mere mental assent? Number 15. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart. Listen to how ridiculous this sounds. Go ahead. Depart in peace. Be ye warm and filled. Hmm, that's funny. You walk across somebody on the street, and it's freezing snowing outside, and they don't have a blanket. They don't yeah. have shoes on their feet. And they're hungry, and you say, oh, brother, bless your heart. Be filled and be warm. Did you do anything for them? <laughs> that sounds ridiculous. Keep going, brother. Notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Faith without works is what? Dead. Dead. 18. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, 
and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Okay, verse 19. Thou believest that there is one God. Do you believe there's one God? Amen. Do you thou believe there's one well. God? You do well. Hey, you're doing great to believe that there's only one God. That's right. But I got bad news for you, Brother Ash. The devils also believe in one God. The devils also believe and tremble. So you believe in one God, but you don't do anything else with that. You're no better than the devil. Right. That's it. That's what Scripture says. Hmm. Why, why do they tremble? Because they've been around the throne yeah. of God. Right? They were there. But it says in Revelation that Lucifer, the light bearer, Satan himself, drew a third of the stars with his tail. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? With his influence, with his ascent to the throne. He said in Isaiah, I will be like the most high. I will ascend above the stars of heaven, which the stars are the angels. He said, I'm going to make, I'm going to be like the most high. And these third of the angels were gullible enough, naive enough to believe yeah. that Lucifer could actually become like God. And so they followed him, but they followed him right out of heaven when God cast him to the earth. Yeah. So they came here. Why do they tremble? Because they've been around that throne yeah. and they know how powerful the one God is. Amen. Who can stand? Mm. Keep going. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Let me hone in on that vein again. O vain man, you worship me in vain? Because you don't know who I am. There's one God. You do well to believe that. But your worship is vain. Your worship doesn't mean nothing because you don't do anything with the faith that I've given you. Mm. Go ahead. Verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Okay, 22. Seest thou have faith wrought with his works. With his works. And by works was faith made perfect. His faith was made complete because of his works. Yes, sir. It says otherwhere that Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him. It was as put on his account as righteousness. Mm -hmm. What did Abraham do? Abraham was told, okay, I want you to take your son, your only son, and put him upon the altar. Okay, he could have said, okay, Lord, I believe you. My, my son's there, but I'm not going to do it. When God called him out of the earth of the Chaldees, he could have said, okay, Lord, I'm going to stay right here and watch your plan unfold. Come on now. No, he had to step out of the earth of the yeah. Chaldees. He had to lay Isaac upon that altar. And then God provided the lamb for the sacrifice. His faith without those works would have been dead. You can believe God all day long and do nothing about it and remain in the earth of Chaldees. Come on now. The scripture was fulfilled. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God. Amen. And it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called? The friend of God. Verse 24. Ye see then how that by works, by works a man is justified. By works. And not by faith only. Likewise who? Was not Rahab the harlot justified by works? Hmm. And when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. Let's talk about Rahab. Rahab received spies that came over from Canaan to spy out Jericho. And what's interesting to me is when you read that, how long had they wandered? Forty years. But she already knew that God had given them the city. For 40 years, the people of Jericho stayed shut up because they knew the children of Israel were coming, but yet they stayed wandering. Hmm. Anyhow, so Rahab 
receive these spies. And she says, hey, listen, I've done you a favor, and I want you to return the favor to me. When you're, we know God's going to give you this city. So when he does, I'm asking you to spare me and my family alive. And the spy said, okay, here's what you're going to have to do. Your house is upon the wall. Hang a scarlet thread about, about, excuse me, through your window. And so when we see that scarlet cord hanging through the window, which is representative of the blood, amen? When we see the blood, the death angel passes over. When we see the blood, the warriors come in and spare your home, amen? So they say, hang that cord outside of your window, and we will not touch your house. It says the entire walls of Jericho fell down flat, but yet this tower, this pillar stood where Rahab's house was. But let me ask you, if Rahab did not hang the scarlet cord out of her window, would her family been spared? She would have had to have done the work. She could have believed that if she hung it, they would have been spared, but she had to hang it to be spared. Now, what does 26 say? For as the body without the spirit is dead, mm. so faith without works is dead also. We can believe in one God all we want to. Stand with me. Our belief in one God without obeying the word of God will still land us in a devil's hell. Amen. We must repent and obey the gospel. If God says, hang a scarlet cord out of your window, you better hang a scarlet cord out of your window. Yes, sir. If God says you better repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you must receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, then, brother, sister, that's what we must do to be saved. Mark 16, 16. He that believeth and is baptized. No, it says he that shakes the preacher's hand. No, sir, he that believeth and is baptized. No, it says he that makes a little confession and prays a sinner's prayer. No, sir, he that believeth and is baptized. He that believeth and stops lame and paralyzed in his belief and goes no further. No, sir. No. What's it say? He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Mm. But, but he that believeth not shall be damned. You believe in one God, you're doing well. You're on the right track. But if you've never taken on his name in baptism, Acts 4 and 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He said, you could pick or choose, Brother Dustin. Do you want titles or you want Jesus' name? That's what he says, right? You could choose. You have the choice. There is none other. None other. If you've been baptized, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, I applaud your faith. However, you're still yet in your sins. Because Jesus is the one that shed blood for you. And the Bible declares that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. So by going in the waters of baptism, you're identifying with his burial. You're buried with him in baptism, the Bible says. So now your, your sins have been buried with you. Then it says you're going to rise and become a new creature. Behold, all things pass away. All things are become new. You get to leave your sin in a watery grave when you get baptized in the name of Jesus. Amen? Yes. But if you've never been baptized, you've got to be baptized. You believe in one God, true church. You believe in one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father above all, who is in all through all, and he's in you all. Amen? Praise the Lord. Worship him.
Worship the Lord. Praise God. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. Thank you for the truth about who you are. Aren't you thankful to know that there is one God? There is one God, and his name is Jesus. And it is in his name that we have salvation. It is in his name that we have remission of sin. It is in his name that we must be buried. Amen. To identify with him. Praise the Lord. Shake somebody's hand. Tell them it was good to see them. Pray for pastor. Hope they have a good time of refreshing on their vacation. In Jesus' name, you're dismissed in the fear of the Lord.